All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the series premiere of Star Trek Congo. Uh, we are an actual play podcast that is tabletop role playing using the Star Trek Adventures system by Modifius Entertainment. Our target era is post Star Trek Online, specifically in the year 2415. Our ship, the USS Congo, is a Trident class flying as part of the Babylon fleet out of Deep Space October. Now, uh, you've uh, been watching me before, you know that this means that uh, this game comes after this group's previous game, Star Trek October, uh, when it comes to the timeline. Now, of course, do not stress if you haven't watched October or if you have to leave early. The VODs for Congo and all my other games are on my YouTube and most of the popular podcast solutions. But hopefully you don't need to really watch anything else to enjoy Congo. But you're probably going to catch some returning characters and nods if you do. Uh, speaking of my extended universe, I do want to also publicly announce that I have opened up a text-based West Marches-style role-playing experience on my Discord server. And if you're looking for Star Trek roleplay, if you want to get a taste of Star Trek adventures, or you simply just want to read through the chat logs, I do encourage you to come check it out. Um, there are plenty of different ships and stations to create characters on, and depending on the availability activeness of each ship's crew... It may lead to things like one-off sessions with me, as well as impacts on the rest of Babylon fleet. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, go ahead and check out my Discord. But with that out of the way, let's just go around and have everyone introduce themselves, starting with Matthew. What an unusual position to find myself in. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Matthew. I play Captain Lee Tobin, a uh, intensely religious Bajoran who is taking on his first command here on the Congo. Uh, hello, my name is John uh, from Seattle, Washington. I am playing Lieutenant, I mean, Lieutenant Junior Grade, I mean, Ensign Jaro, um, the pilot, I mean, engineer of uh, Congo. Hey guys, I am Aaron uh, from Eastern Canada. I am playing uh, to crib John, doctor, uh, I mean, commander, uh, I mean, Lieutenant Commander, uh, key dotting science officer. Uh, I'm Watney. I am bringing back uh, Dr. Alel from Fenrir, my supporting character at the time. As a full PC, uh, she's going to be the CMO of Congo. Uh, you can find me on Twitch at Doc Watney. Everybody, I'm Dag, busted down from captain to lieutenant. I am playing a brand new character, Paul Fives Tate. He's a free Borg. And he is uh, just starting on this mission after five years of recovering from being liberated from the collective. If you want to talk about it, hit me up at Trek Nexus. I think it's going to be a great game tonight. Oh, well, I'm just noticing that now. Were you a CPO at one point, an SCPO? Oh, probably. Yeah, that's actually true. I'll fix it. I'll fix it as you guys role play. But uh, yeah, uh, if you don't know me, I'm ELH. Hi, I'm the Game Master. And uh, normally, if you've been watching, you know, my games, you know that I like doing a video intro, but I decided, eh, screw it, we'll just get straight into roleplay, because we have only so much time in the evening. So, uh, something I like doing for all my Star Trek games is having the players do an opening log, and uh, Mr. Lee Tobin, I believe that honor falls to you. Captain Lee's log, Stardate 93312.4. There remains something inevitably strange to recording a captain's log. None of the transfers from CMO to science consultant to chief engineer ever weighed this heavily. The sense of bodily dispossession never lasted this long. My first command. 
As I looked out at the Babylon fleet, the task force of vessels dispatched to Deep Space October that's now outpaced us, I couldn't help but think of King Nebuchadnezzar of ancient Babylon, glorying in his golden empire that rested on feet of fragile clay. With the brain of potential threat near the Sabine Expanse to which we've been dispatched on our exploratory mission, we're on a knife's edge. Every empire is. Gold, clay, or duritanium, we're all at the mercy of the Prophet's will. But Starfleet's mission to seek out new life and explore strange new worlds continues, and the Congo is ideally suited to it with her advanced sensor suites and communication systems. We're scheduled to make a brief stopover at Deep Space October to retrieve our Chief Science Officer, Lieutenant Commander Dottig, and our new Chief Engineer, Ensign Terrell, as well as several supplementary officers. Despite their disciplinary issues, they are highly praised by their former captain, Kiswick, and everyone deserves a chance to make amends. Then, our first mission. We're to map out a nebula a few weeks' journey from DSO. It is newly formed on a galactic scale, and has rebuffed any attempts to chart its interior via long-distance probes. Hopefully, this journey will give the new crew time to settle. Though I wish I'd been able to convince my old friend, Commander Bassar, to join me, he's still on assignment with the groundskeepers, and reluctant to leave his partner, Ambassador Archer. I understand that feeling. May the prophets be with this ship. And log. Very nice. And you even got it done right as the music ends. So uh, have a momentum. Why not? <laughs> so uh, we're going to open today's uh, session with sort of an external shot of Deep Space October. And Deep Space October is quite massive when it comes to starbases. It's not quite... Uh, Starbase one shaped, but it has some of the same trappings, meaning that it has the large saucer section where ships can literally fly in and dock inside. Uh, it has some landing platforms for things like runabouts and smaller, like Nova class size ships. And in general, it is a very, for lack of a better term, uh, beautiful installation that is sort of just floating out there in space. And we sort of see a ship warp in and the camera pans over to what we now know as the USS Congo. Now, the Congo is a Trident class, which means that it is sort of like a uh, almost like a hand vacuum in general shape where it kind of has that uh, sloped front uh, that leads up to a narrow sort of uh, secondary hull. And with two nacelles coming off of the secondary hull, um, it does... Yeah, now that I think about it, it almost looks like a Hoover fan vacuum with nacelles. Um, but the main feature of the Congo itself is a third or perhaps the true secondary hull that comes down underneath of the ship. Uh, not quite like a third nacelle, but that's pretty much where all the labs and things like it are located. But as we see the Congo warp in and begin to angle towards Deep Space October, we now switch again to the interior of Deep Space October's ready room. And we see the Fleet Admiral, Fleet Admiral Ignatrix, uh, sort of reading a few pads at her desk. Now, for those who don't know, Ignatrix is a Zanette, which means she's rocking uh, blue skin, very prominent yellow eyes, uh, avian sort of features along her arms and legs, and uh, almost prismatic blue and pink hair. But uh, as we sort of look at the Fleet Admiral, there is a chime at her door to which she pauses and yells, come in. And in steps Captain Lee. So since this is the first time for many, uh, Lovecraft, if you could describe what uh, Captain Lee looks like. 
Captain Lee is a roughly six foot tall Bajoran male. He is in his mid forties, but he actually looks a little bit older because much like me, he's almost entirely gray at this point. He has a well-maintained uh, goatee and his uniform is, as is typical for a captain, immaculately maintained and the pips are well-polished. All right. So as you step inside, the fleet admiral sort of nods at you and says, ah, Captain Lee, please have a seat. Thank you, Admiral. And Lee will move into the room somewhat stiffly and take a seat before her. And she puts down the pad she was reading and sort of leans in a little bit and goes, so uh, how was your trip? Uh, anything I should know about? It was largely uneventful, Admiral. However, we have been experiencing some difficulties with the experimental micro wormhole generator on board the ship. I hope that our new chief engineer will be able to assist us with that. Hmm. I believe he'll uh, do a fine job, but that's actually why I wanted to have this uh, quick meeting with you, Captain Lee. Um, to say you have an interesting choice of characters for your senior staff is an understatement. I mean that in the best way, of course. They're definitely fine Starfleet officers, but at the same time, well, let's just say I want to make sure you understand what you're getting into. I admit that I have had some concerns, but those concerns are actually part of the reason why I wanted those two officers on board my ship. And from what I understand, both Ensign Terrell and uh, Lieutenant Commander Dateg are highly competent officers, but I would appreciate any information you can provide me or insight, seeing as you actually know them. Well, I'll start with the good Ensign there. Uh, he's recently actually taken to going by his first name. I don't like Bajoran, so uh, he does prefer Ensign Jaro, but hey, you're the captain. I'm not going to tell you what to call your officers. Um, honestly, I think Jaro just needs a time to heal. I think he needs to build up his confidence again and really understand that there's extremes and then there's finding middle ground. And right now he's sort of bounced between two extremes. So your goal captain for him is going to be to find a way to get him to the middle ground. As for uh, Lieutenant Commander Dottig, really he just needs to learn that, uh, I mean, this is going to sound strange, especially for a Tellarite, but... I just feel he needs to uh, feel a bit more confident in taking command. And once you feel he's ready, you have, of course, uh, discretion to give him the command test again. I was under the impression that uh, he was barred from taking the command test for another three years, according to your ruling. Well, let's just say in the several months that have followed since the hearing, I thought about it. And I think as long as he can pass the command test again, I honestly don't see why we have to uphold the three years. But I'm not saying first mission, give him a chance to, you know. Of course, I'll assess his performance as we go along and make a determination when I believe that he's ready to take on that responsibility. It's also worth saying that the same sort of thing applies to Ensign Jaro. If you feel he's done an excellent job in his career with you, then of course, feel free to promote him. But again, don't do it in the first few, you know, adventures I send you on. Of course not, Admiral. Although I am curious about Mr. Terrell, from what I saw of his statement from the trial, it seemed as if he too might be on the verge of leaving Starfleet. Has he come to some kind of decision in that regard since he, uh, well, since those events? Well, from the little he's been on active duty here on DSO, he, uh, it's almost a full reversal. Not that he was bad before, but... He shows up on time. His uniform is up to code every single time. He's very polite and uh, 
almost a diligent worker. Again, not that he wasn't before, but it's almost a drastic change from the first reports I got about him. That kind of radical shift in personality is generally not indicative of healthy psychological responses to trauma. Has he been seeing a counselor? Uh, he has, but what I would say is that, um, you know what, I'm going to let him explain that. I, I think it'll be better coming from the horse's mouth, as the saying goes. Of course, Admiral. With respect to the mission, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss with me? Well, uh, I've already gone ahead and sent Mr. Dottig some notes about uh, what we've been able to glean from DSO here. But in general, you're looking at uh, a nebula that is not only new, but one we haven't been able to map for whatever reason. Every probe we've sent inside has ceased reporting. So good luck finding out what's what's going on with the nebula. Should I ask Chief Fives to uh, look into this matter? Is there a possibility of some kind of hostile force at work? That is, of course, always something you have to be wary of, uh, Captain, but... Honestly, how you proceed at this point is entirely up to your discretion. Very good, Admiral. Well, honestly, that's all I had. And uh, maybe as you start to, you know, nod and stand, she kind of pauses and says, Oh, um, one last thing. Um, let's just say Mr. Jaro isn't going to be the only sort of person you have to keep an eye on. Um, one of your Cation officers is... For lack of a better term, too bubbly for my liking. That's not exactly the most professional observation, if I may, Admiral. <laughs> well, you'll learn that uh, the more you work under me, the more I don't stand on ceremony. Understood, Admiral. Uh, thank you for the observation regarding my new crew members. Of course. Best of luck on your mission. Admiral, may you walk with the prophets. And she sort of nods and picks up her pad, and you take the hint that it's time to leave. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're now going to cut to one of the gangplanks that is leading into uh, the Congo's um, airlock. And we see three individuals there. Uh, the first is Lieutenant Commander Dottig. So again, since this might be the first time people are seeing Dottig, uh, tell us a little bit about them there, Aaron. Sure. Um Commander Dottig is a Tellarite, and so typically he's more um, short and squat, we'll say, than uh, than the average uh, humanoid. He stands at about uh, five foot two inches tall, um, and he is, to my mind, almost cartoonishly, almost as wide as he is tall. Um, he's got um, typically blonde. Uh, fur, very porcine features, uh, now streaked with uh, just a little bit of gray. All right. And the next character we see is Ensign Jaro. So what, uh, what's going on with Ensign Jaro? Uh, Jaro is a human. Um, he is pressed. His suit, is, his uniform is perfect. Um, however, if you were to take out a ruler and... Uh, measure where his ensign pip is his ensign pip is where the lieutenant pip would be mm. so you know if you were going to really break down you would find that uh that out um you know he 
he stands pretty tall, uh, but you can see a little bit of doubt uh, in in just the way that he he holds himself. Um, blonde hair, blue eyes, um, and seems ready to go, but then notices Dottag here and is yeah switches to a look of concern. And yeah. The next character we see is uh, Acacian, Ensign Rowan. Oh, God, I can't roll my R's tonight. But uh, Ensign Rowan uh, is Acacian. Uh, she has white fur, um, has sort of distinctive black markings on her forehead that actually symbolize that she is a Cation augment. I sort of thought to myself and figured that Cations would do something to mark their augments, and this seemed appropriate. Um, she is uh, quite tall, actually. She's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 7'5". And um, that's one of those things where not only when she looks down at Dottig, she also looks down at Jaro kind of a thing. Um, but unlike uh, Ensign Jaro's uniform, hers is um, barely up to code. It's just enough that she'll skate by anyone that's not, you know, hammering her about regs. But it could definitely do with some maintenance. And yeah, the, uh, the three of you have arrived in one of the gangplanks leading to the Congo. And I wanted to give you all an opportunity just to role play before I threw Captain Lee in there. So, Commander, you're uh, here to see me off, maybe? What do you mean? You're here to see me off. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, nothing. What the... Uh, I'll be... Mean... Oh, well... Oh, I seems that my transfer to engineering has uh, come through and I will be doing engineering on this whale of a ship. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, did you request it specifically? Did you know that I was going to be on this ship and requested it specifically because you just cannot bear to live without me? I don't blame you. That would be a negative, sir. Not that your company is not appreciated. It, uh, I guess it might be nice to have somebody that I know. Maybe. We'll see. And I think nice Rowan <laughs> actually cuts in right there and says, man, you guys are dreary. What What's up with you guys? And Dottie uh, will just sort of slowly... Jaro just steps out of the line of fire. I'm sorry, Ensign. Were you addressing me? Oh, um, yes. Sorry, Lieutenant Commander. Um, hi, I'm Ensign Rowan. I'm your helm officer. Hi, hi. Hello. Your um, left trouser leg is tucked into your boot. And she looks down and says, um, "Sir, you are wearing a cation, right? We don't we don't wear boots." I'm just checking to make sure you were paying attention. Congratulations! Uh, you have a level of cerebral activity just above a vegetative state. And Rowan kind of leans into Jarrow and goes, "Is is this him being a Tellerite, or no? This is him being him." Um, are you actually looking forward to flying that 
thing? Well, yeah. I mean, sure, it may not look it, but I don't know. I think I can make that thing dance. I mean, I was at Red Squad at the Academy. I could. I. I think I. I think I can make it work. Good luck. I don't think it looks like a whale so much as a bread box. What what sort of bread boxes are you looking at? Baguettes mostly. And as Rowan starts to wonder what the hell baguettes you're looking at, it is at that point that uh, meeting you at the uh, Congo side of the gangplank is none other than Captain Lee himself. Gentlemen, and so I think it'd be great for him to walk in with uh, Charo saying. I don't know. I think the ship's pretty ugly. <laughs> there you go. That's that's what you hear, Captain. Well, Ensign, I don't take that personally, but oh, uh, it's what's in on the inside that counts, or so Starfleet believes. Well, you look really stupid. <laughs> Jaro is uh, at uh, a uh, a forced attention. At ease, Ensign. It's quite all right. I don't take offense. I didn't mean anything by it. I, I appreciate the, well, the assignment. Well, I'm happy to have both of you, given your distinguished careers already on board the ship. Ensign, um, I'm afraid that I'm not familiar with your personal record, but I will certainly look into it. And Rowan speaks up and says, oh, um... It's actually not that long, sir. Um, only thing is I graduated the academy three months ago, uh, came out here to DSO to wait a ship to fly on, and really the only thing to note at the academy was I was Red Squad, and that's honestly it. New officer. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on board as well. Tell me you were at least squad leader. Jar um, leans over. No, no, I was I was second chair. The, uh, the head was um, a hologram, if you'll believe it. Mr. Terrell, uh, forgive me, I, I believe you prefer to be referred to as Mr. Jaro? Just Jaro's fine. Hmm. Jaro, as I understand it, you are quite the helmed officer yourself. You could, of course, take a shift if you wanted to, I suppose, demonstrate your superiority to our ensign over here, or engage in some friendly competition. Oh, uh, I don't do that anymore, sir. Hmm. And you'll see that uh, Lee leans back slightly and ponders that for a moment. That's, of course, your prerogative. And I welcome you and your experience as an engineer, given what I've learned from, of you from, uh, what was his name? Um, Mr. Jana, was it? His reports speak highly of your skills. Would you care for a tour of the ship, gentlemen? And Ensign? Yes, sir. Thank you. Very good. And Lee would the, then escort them into the vessel. All right. So, uh, you guys take a tour. You Any big uh, ticket items you want to hit on your tour, or is it just the standard sort of engineering, sick bay, science lab, etc.? It would be the standard tour, but I would... Uh, highlight the fact that in engineering we do have the experimental micro wormhole generator that is 
experiencing some difficulties meant to enhance our transporters and our communication systems. And I would indicate to Lieutenant Terrell or to Jero that that's something I'd like him to look into uh, after we've finished our preliminary meetings. Of course, sir. I'll get together with the chief engineer as soon as we can. Very good, Ensign. Uh, although you are the chief engineer. Oh, okay. <laughs> he looks a little uh, surprised. I guess I didn't read that completely, sir. Is that going to be an issue for us, Ensign? Uh, no, sir. Very good. Ensign Rowan, I believe it is? Uh, yes, sir. You're free to go about the ship and await your uh, assigned duty. Uh, however, I will want to uh, meet more extensively with my two senior officers. And she kind of looks between the two of you and goes, ah, I get it. I get it. Totally get it. Uh, I'll go to the bridge and uh, wait your order to uh, launch off the starbase, sir. Very good. Thank you, Ensign. So, Ensign. Yes. Last I checked, I, I still had the record on the Saturn loop. Did anybody beat that yet? Not that I'm aware of. Um, your time was, what, 25.3? 25.1. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the holographic uh, Red Squad leader made a 25.2, so they came close. But no, you still have the record, or, as far as I know. <sighs> Technically, it was 25.14. Yeah. It's rounded down. Mm. Lucky for you. And Lee is just sort of looking on with a somewhat sardonic expression on his face at the quasi-bickering between the two of his senior officers. All right. Well, uh, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit in the timeline because I think where you're angling to go is you want to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your officers. Is that more or less correct? Yes. All right. So we're going to cut to the Congo's ready room. And as far as ready rooms go, it's actually quite spacious. Um, of course, you have the main desk with the comfy chair, the computer terminal, a uh, few data pads, maybe a cup of coffee that's been spiked with uh, some liquor, knowing Lee. Who knows? Um, but there's also several chairs in the room. Uh, there is a large couch that could easily sit about six or eight people on it. Um, in sort of the space between the chairs and the couch, there's a round table where I like to imagine there's some sort of plant. It doesn't have to be a bonsai plant like we see in the image, um, but some sort of greenery is what I'm getting at. And uh, before I sort of throw either Dottig or Jaro on the screen, is there anything else you'd like to say for the record is in Lee's ready room? I would say that in the area that is not visible in the image, there are three objects of interest. The first is a small holographic projection on the desk in the form of uh, the kind of hologo imager that we saw contained Tasha Yar's image on Data's desk. And it currently displays an image of Lee along with a Vulcan woman and two small children. Uh, along the wall, there is a bookshelf filled with actual books, so uh, physical tomes uh, of various different ages and the like. Most of them seem to be philosophical texts uh, from various different cultures. And lastly, uh, there is a small set of Bajoran 
uh, iconography or icons and uh, not quite a shrine, but at least a small area in the corner that seems to be devoted to uh, perhaps the veneration of the prophets. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, the next question is, who do you want to meet with first, Datig or Jaro? Uh, it would be Jaro. All right. So, Jaro, you're in the hot seat then. All right. Uh, Jaro will uh, stand next to the chair at attention. And Lee, seeing this, will actually rise from his chair, walk over to the replicator, uh, and then turn back to him. You uh, can certainly have a seat if you wish, Ensign. Thank you, sir. Can I get you anything? Uh, no, sir. Very good. Um, replicator Bajoran Spice Tea. And I've been waiting for somebody to mess with the replicator. Lovecraft, please roll me a 1D1000. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So that's just slash R? Yep. Slash R, 1D1000. One hundred ninety-seven. Consult the chart. So instead of your Bajoran spiced tea, what replicates is a entree plate of uh, poached salmon. Hmm. Computer, um, what did you just produce in the replicator in my office? Bajar Bajoran spiced tea says the computer. I see. Um, Please reclamate the uh, item that has just been produced and uh, store the constituent matter. And the fish dematerializes as the replicator reclaims <clears throat> the matter energy. Ah, I hate new ships. Um, Ensign, um, I've already I believe... made a note, sir. Thank you, Ensign. I guess I'll just forego that for now. Um, and Lee will just shake his head and return to his seat, sitting down for a moment. And he will not quite do the Picard face bomb, but he will rub at his forehead for a moment. Okay. Anson. I'm given to understand that uh, you wanted a transfer out of, what was it, uh, your position as a flight controller from command to engineering? Yes, sir. I'm going to be blunt with you, Ensign, and Lee will pull out a pad which displays the transfer orders for uh, Jaro, which have been amended to include his uh, elevation to the position of chief engineer on board the Congo. And everything is in order. It's been finalized, save for Lee's signature, which has not actually yet been uh, affixed to the document. I received your request for a transfer to this ship, and I'm more than happy to grant it in light of what I know of your record. But the question that I have for you is, do you really want it? Why are you even in Starfleet? Starfleet is everything I've ever known, sir. I was born in it, lived in it. I've never been outside of Starfleet. I believe in the ideals. Um, transferring to engineering is a decision I made because, well, Starfleet has never agreed with 
any of my decisions that I've made that have been considered command decisions, sir. Well, Anson, what I'll say is there was one right answer to that question, and as many wrong answers as there are people. From what I gather, that was the truth. That was your truth. And I respect that you were willing to share that with me. Do you still want to be in Starfleet, though? That's why you're here. It's comfortable for you. I can understand the need for that, the need to cling on to what's familiar when everything else has been taken away from you. But I'd like you to think about it. Is that really what you want? Is that really what's healthy for you? You don't have to answer that question now, but it is something that you need to think about. I understand what you're saying, sir. I. I will do my best. Well, I will do my best within the confines of the orders I receive. And in your trial, you mentioned that at times your sense of decency, I believe it was, can supersede those orders that you are required to carry out. Is that still the case? No, sir. Hmm. Officially, I have to say that's the right answer. Personally, well, I suppose I'm not sure. Every decision I've made based on decency, sir, has gained me the ire of Starfleet Command. Starfleet Command may employ us, and we may be beholden to them, Ensign, but they're not the arbiters of what's right and wrong. They're the arbiters of protocol, certainly, but good and evil, right and wrong, transcend regulations. I've made that argument myself before. With respect to your sense of right and wrong, your sense of decency, as you called it, have you ever given any thought to what actually that entails? What is decency to you, Ensign? What felt right? Hmm. What felt true? You know, Almost a hundred years ago, the Cardassians came to my world and believed that what was right was the subjugation of my people, that we were a backwards, savage race that had to be corralled, and that the resources of my world were best used in the service of a greater good, the service of their entire empire, their expansionist goals, and the preservation of their people over mine. I'm not telling you that what you feel about good and evil is right or wrong. In fact, I respect somebody who embraces that, who embraces good and evil. I'm just saying feelings can often lead us into very dangerous places, and it's incumbent upon us to think about 
what actually makes something right or wrong? What underlies that sense of decency that you privilege quite rightly, I would say? Well, I would counter with the fact that had people questioned the orders that were given to them by their commanders, maybe not of the not all of the Cardassians would have been the way that they were. Perhaps not. Although one would then have to ask, by what standard are they judging them? By what standard would they have to rebel against those orders? Their own feelings? Everyone's the hero of their own story, sir. Hmm. That assumes that any of us have our own story, and it's not part of a larger one. Regardless, Ensign, I appreciate your candor and your perspective. And Lee will sign off on the transfer orders. Thank you, sir. I have to uh, go and report for my uh, first, uh, my initial ship uh, physical, so that the uh, so that everyone has what they need as a baseline for me, sir. Of course, Ensign. And please get those replicators working. It's um. It's high on my list, sir. I need to, uh, well, from what I hear, I need to realign several different elements of the warp, uh, of the warp drive as well. Uh, and, well, you had some other minor issues with the docking, docking plates, so. Well, from uh, the list that you've already compiled just from our tour, it does seem like I've selected the correct officer. Thank you, Jaro. Thank you, sir. He stands up and he like doesn't know what to do initially. So he just like stands there awkwardly for a moment. You're dismissed, Ensign. And then he leaves. Gotcha. All right, well, before we do the uh, Dotic meeting, I thought we'd uh, introduce our other characters. And we're going to do that by going to the Congo Sick Bay. Now, the Congo Sick Bay is actually really, really nice. And I say that because the Congo actually has the talent Advanced Sick Bay. Um, now, it's not as large as, say, a Nebula class or a Norway class, but in general, uh, sick bay is expansive. Um, there are several rooms uh, filled with just bio beds. Um, there's a number of surgical operating theaters. There are even a few like miniature holodecks that can be used for um, sort of xenobiology and for containing patients that maybe don't conform to a class M environment. And as we sort of enter into sickbay, we actually do so over the shoulder of Lieutenant Commander Dottig. And Dottig, the way I'd like to flavor this is you've actually entered here on instinct. Like you almost went on autopilot and you sort of just walked in here. <laughs> um, sure, yeah, he'll walk in and sort of look to the, to the right and left. And perhaps there's a, uh, a pad I'm one of the thing he just sort of casually scoops up the pad and begins to review and says very absently while tapping the pad, uh, computer, list my appointment for the day. 
And that's when Alel, that you notice this and maybe stand up to go confront Mr. Dottig, but uh, tell us a little bit about Alel. Sure. So Alel is a, um, a Denobulan woman. Uh, she stands at about an average height for them. So five foot, six inches or 167 centimeters. Um, she wears, she has curly brunette hair. She wears it very short. Um, she has a very cheerful, friendly and very curious disposition. Um, as all Denobulans do, her eyes are a sort of azure, inhumanly bright blue. Um, she seems less preoccupied with formality and ambition and more so uses Starfleet as a way to fulfill her fascination with making new discoveries. Um, she likes to spend most of her time in sickbay, but will sit on the bridge as is customary. Um, she always keeps a medical tricorder on her and she definitely wears boots, unlike some people. <laughs> Yeah, well, you've just seen a Tellarite sure. walk into your sick bay and uh, yeah. start asking the computer some questions about appointments. Sure. So she's like a configuring a biobed uh, console and she kind of like turns and looks over her shoulder and she's like, oh, oh my gosh, you must be lost. <laughs> I was about to say that to you. Oh, you're one of those grumpy Tellarites, aren't you? I am most certainly not grumpy. I what the hell are. are you doing in my sick bay? <laughs> um, this is my sick bay, and I think that's my pad too. Did you have an appointment? I am not the chief medical officer here. That's right. Oh, but it looks like you're a commander, and I'm a lieutenant. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, are you? Sorry, are you a lieutenant commander now? Yeah. Okay. It looks like you're lieutenant commander and I'm just a little lieutenant. So. Hey, no. You're the chief medical officer. This is your domain. Own it. Are you new at this? A little bit, yeah. Mm. Am I doing a good job? You have a lot to learn, but I will tell you this. Never yield authority in your sick bay. It is your sick bay. No one else's, not the captain's, not the admiral, nobody. Yours. Well, yeah, no one can do as good of a job as me, so. Well, I mean, let's <laughs> not get crazy or anything. But I'm <clears> sure, <throat> I'm sure, doctor, that you will do the best you can. Well, I certainly hope so because Captain Lee handpicked me, so. Hmm. Did you know that we used to work together? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. The Fenrir. Fenrir. I don't believe I'm familiar. You you don't the flagship in the Sabine Expanse, you're not familiar with the Fenrir? I mean, was it responsible for any notable medical breakthroughs? No, I wasn't chief medical officer then. <laughs> uh, you'll do okay. I'm uh, Commander Dottig, Keeve Dottig. Uh, also a medical doctor by nature. 
oh, that explains why that explains mm. that explains it. And speaking of things that need explaining, it's about then that the doors open and in walks Jaro. Um, Ensign Jaro reporting for uh, my onboarding physical. Oh, sure. You're actually right on time. Um, why don't you have a seat on this bio bed over here? Takes a seat. I uh, I have to go. Are you feeling okay? Mm. Mm. Fine. Excuse me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, she makes a mental note to tell the captain that Dodgic was acting weird in sick bay. <laughs> Has been and, so And uh, and begins the 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 physical. Sure. So yeah, go ahead and uh, just to uh, get everybody rolling, uh, go ahead okay. and give me a uh, reason medicine difficulty of zero. Two complications. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, Start the game with two it. complications. Bring it on. Um, I see no biology. No, he's human. No. <laughs> he's an alien. Medicine. He's, he's alien to her. No. No. <laughs> Oh, fine. Uh, oh, wait, more. I didn't roll two. Yeah, I was going to say one more, okay. but that's already one success. That's good. Cool. Well, I'll roll another. What did I just roll? Reason Medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that's two successes, which means you're up to three momentum. But yeah, I mean, Jaro's fine unless, uh, John, you want to add anything for the record. Uh, No, I mean, I guess it would, uh, you know... Um... Like his um, endorphins or dopamine levels are kind of low, but other than that, he's he's fine. His okay. his happy his happy hormones are low. Hmm. Okay, uh, would she detect like high cortisol, stress levels, or anything, or is it just he's kind of down? Yeah, it's no no. There's no uh, stress in the situation. It's more of just okay. a. Uh, So she has uh, the tricorder out. There's the little, like, handhelds. She's like, uh, okay. New assignment? New ship assignment? Uh, yes, my third assignment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And anything abnormal you want to report to me during your yearly physical? No, I feel okay she probably would note that there is no other physicals listed for jaro <laughs> this is your first physical in how old are you for a human oh I, 24 this is your first physical ever well yeah i i'm turning over a new leaf Ah, okay. Well, in that case, I have a lot more paperwork for you. <sighs> it just sighs. <laughs> I do have a meeting with uh, a Lieutenant Fives in a little while. Um, fives, fives, can I, fives, fives. Can I take the paperwork with me and get it over back to you? I'll, I'll get it back to you ASAP. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll just send it to your uh, your console, your personal console. Um, by the way, looks like you're, uh, I mean, are you feeling okay? Like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Really? Don't lie to me. Feeling, feeling perfectly fine. I'm your doctor, you know, you can tell me that kind of stuff. <sighs> I know it's been a while since you've had a physical, but you can tell me. Oh, I am, I am fine. Thank you for your concern. Well, concern's my job, but I'll note in here that you feel fine despite my tricorder telling me otherwise. But uh, yeah, I think you should be good. I'll send that paperwork along. He hops down. Thanks. Uh, they don't do lollipops, do they? I always What's heard that. that... Oh, never mind. <laughs> he'll leave. He'll leave sick pay. And we're now going to cut to the conference room. Actually, you know what? Let's do engineering. We'll do engineering, and then we'll do conference room. So we now go to the Congo's engineering. Uh, main engineering and uh, in terms of main engineering it's actually kind of small uh, all things considered the main room is mostly filled by the warp core and the EPS conduits coming off of it um, there are maybe only about four stations uh, in this main area um, that are all of course relegated to MSDs uh, engine temp readouts matter antimatter reaction rate you know standard things you would see in engineering um, there are, of course, a few Jeffrey's tubes access points. Um, there are already some officers sort of going about their business. Um, but Jaro, as you step inside, uh, waiting for you almost at the precipice of the door is a lieutenant. And Dag, tell us a little bit about Fives. So if you could tell from the token on the screen, Fives looks pretty much exactly like I do. Uh, that just made it easy to do the costume. Uh, 1.82 meters tall, brown hair, slightly graying beard, dashing good looks. And just for the record, I think there is something very special about Fives, about um, certain Borg implants. This is true. Fives is a liberated Borg, but as such, he has some residual implants. You can tell the facial appliance as well as a arm prosthetic. But he's totally chill with it. It's just how it is. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Jaro. As soon as Jaro steps into this room, his posture changes slightly, mm -hmm. um, and he uh, calls out to the uh, other officers that are here uh, that uh, I need you and you in. Uh, I need an in-depth diagnostics of the uh, replicators. Um, the captain got fish when he asked for tea and and we need to figure that out uh, you I need you to replace docking plates four seven and eight and of course the uh, red shirts chime back and say uh, yeah sure we'll we'll do that um are you Jaro are you the new chief engineer yes oh well uh Pleasure to be working with you, sir. Um, and Starfleet says that uh, the docking plates should take one hour and 15 minutes each. I want them done in an hour apiece. And the diagnostics on the replicator, I'd like to have that done. Um, well, let's see. 
we've got two hours before lunch. I want the captain to have his actual lunch that he won't request. Got it, sir. No buffer time. <laughs> buffer time. Oh, I remember the days. Ah. <laughs> uh, so you're the new chief, huh? Yes. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm uh, Lieutenant Paul Tate. I go by Fives. Um, nice to meet you. Fives. I, I like it. Uh, you can just call me Jaro. Jaro. I like that. So, you uh, you wanted to talk. And he's already going over and he's uh, um, doing some diagnostics on the warp core himself. Yeah. You know, you're a young guy. And I think, like, we young guys, we kind of get along pretty well. So I need you to help me understand. If somebody read this to you, what would your reaction be? <clears throat> Baby, if you were words on a page, you'd be fine print. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, what is the context of this message? Oh, it's, um, you know, social acclimation, um, uh, dating. Yeah. Dating. Um, that's a completely different story. Um, do you have a specific I'm just gonna target guess. in mind? Oh, oh no, no, no! I just, I'm just gonna guess that by by your reaction, you're not super like interested. I'm gonna have to find a new come online. Anyway, um, no, I'm just saying stuff. that you need to customize any of your uh, lines. Don't work. You know, you you need to have customized material for each encounter. I got. I, I'll write that down. All right. I'll remember that. I'll remember that. Ah, so, um, yeah, ship business. Um, I just uh, down here to make sure that all the phaser emitters are uh, fully stocked and uh, and uh, charged. And I wanted to do a uh, you know a site tour of the uh, the photon torpedo uh, launchers and make sure that those are all shiny. No, that sounds that sounds great. Um, uh, give me forty-five minutes on the core, and then um, you know I definitely uh, I can meet you down there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and get a start on that uh, torpedo inventory. But uh, I really like the way that you you kick these guys into gear. The last chief. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just say I'm glad you're here. Well, there's, you know, I don't want to speak poorly of anyone, but then he runs his finger across the top of the panel and, but let's just say need to tidy up. 100% agree. Get these guys ship shape and efficient in no time. I'll see you down in the torpedo bay. Oh, I'll be there in about 45 minutes. All right. With that, we're actually going to pan back to the ready room where it has come time for Mr. Lee and Mr. Dottig to have a uh, frank conversation, if I understand things correctly. So yeah, Dottig, you walk inside. 
Uh, Lee, I'd like you to roll me... Actually, let's do it this way. Uh, Jaro, roll me a Presence Engineering. And if you have anything like team management or anything that would be sort of applicable to commanding your sort of underlings, um, that's going to represent how well you've repaired the replicators by the time this scene takes place. Um, so I'm going to set the difficulty here at about a one. Uh, presence engineering. Mm-hmm. We have three momentum. Yeah, I'll spend one. Okay. Um, just because he wants to make a uh, for a good first impression. Um, right. No, that wouldn't apply. All right. Well, that is a resounding four successes, which means you get three momentum back. You're at five. And yeah, I would say that uh, because of that, Lee, you're actually having what you intended to have for lunch as Dottig walks in. And you see that uh, Lee sets down his cup of Bajoran spiced tea and his half-eaten hasbrot is there on the table next to him. Doctor, thank you. Please come in. Thank you, Captain. And Dottig will uh, take a seat and look down at the plate and say, oh, no, thank you. I'm not hungry. Are you sure? You can walk over the replicator and get something for yourself. I don't know. It smells like fish in here. Yes, it does. Uh, that is unfortunate. Uh, the atmospheric recyclers in here probably need to be recalibrated as well. Mm. Good spiced tea, though. I don't know what uh, Anson Jaro did, but um, tastes even better than it did before. Mm. Doctor. It's, it's probably psychosomatic. Yeah, it probably is, yes. Um, regardless. Now, Doctor, I, I do know you by reputation. I read your paper on, I believe it was biometrics and genetronics at the crossroads of medicine and miracles. Fascinating work, visionary in some respects, even if the philosophical implications that you explored were rather pedestrian. Well, it was a long time ago. I'm sure I'd be much more flashy if I wrote that now. Hmm. It was a simple microcellular analysis. I think you're selling yourself and uh, your analysis of the techniques a little bit short, Doctor, but um, I certainly appreciated the read. Well, it's, you're quite right. I was deliberately downplaying my enormous contributions to medical scholarship to see if you actually read the article. Hmm. You know, I read Captain Kiswick's logs and I thought I knew what to expect from you, but clearly I was wrong. Well, I don't quite know how to take that. I hope it's a compliment. Uh, however, I know that um, Bajorans are typically an overly emotional race, so if you would like me to dial it back, I certainly can. Quite the opposite, Doctor. I've been insulted by much better men than you. <laughs> hey, I use that line. Uh, I've heard that one before. That's uh, number uh, number 17 on the list, actually. Your mistaken impression is that I was trying to impress you. I wasn't. I think we'll get along just fine. Uh, honestly, Doctor, um, that's not my usual comportment, but I understand that that would probably make you a little more comfortable. Oh, don't, 
don't step out of your comfort zone on my account. If there's one thing Starfleet officers are known for, it's uh, not doing anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. Well, Doctor, and that's precisely why I wanted to talk with you about uncomfortable experiences. You and your comportment during the trial of your fellow officers, really. You took on an adversarial position with your fellow officers. You agreed to prosecute them in that trial. And to get to know the officers under my command, I wanted to understand that, why you chose to embrace that role. First thing, I didn't volunteer for that. It was an order from Admiral Ingtrix. He thought that my sunny disposition would be well suited to the adversarial process. I'm sorry to say that she was quite right. I've never had to participate in the attempted demolition of fellow officers before. Real quick side note. Uh, Lee, you would have noticed in that same report that detailed Dottig's um, prosecution that the fleet admiral and some of the attending JAG officers sort of did make a note that if Dottig ever wants to be a JAG officer, they'll take him. Nonetheless, Doctor, from both the transcripts of the trial that I've read and the reports of, well, the judges who oversaw it, you took to that position and embraced it quite wholeheartedly. Well, to be fair, my my reluctance to operate within the full scope of my authority during my time in Deep Space October played no small part in that trial coming about in the first place. You're referring to your unwillingness to remove Captain Kiswick from command? Yes. And you'll see that uh, Lee looks towards his uh, the drawer in his desk for a moment, and he seems for just a second as if he's a million light years away. And then he turns back to the doctor. You know, doctor, the responsibility of a CMO with respect to the ability, the, the power that's invested in us or in the people we used to be to remove a superior officer from command when necessary it's one of the most difficult things about the position and there's no shame in not having wielded that power well having regrets about how you used it hmm. I I suppose so but I made a choice and because of my choice the lives of everybody Aboard Umbriel were put at risk. The away team was put at risk. Perhaps even our history 
was put at risk. That is something that I intend to never have happen again. And so I made a choice when I was ordered to prosecute my colleagues that I would undertake that with passion, with my full ability. That's why you wanted to drag out all those weaknesses that you did in the trial, all those flaws in the character of your fellow officers, your friends, even your family. It was my duty to prove they were at fault. I had to shine light on everything that I felt was relevant. I wonder, Doctor, if you might be misrepresenting your own efforts. What do you mean? Quite simply, Doctor, you've no doubt had a patient, more than one patient in the past, who's refused treatment. I have. When we become so consumed with our fears or an unwillingness to acknowledge that there are problems, we can slowly destroy ourselves. I think that when you were on that stand, when you were interrogating your fellow officers, you wanted to force every ugly squirming fear and weakness out into the open so that they could grapple with them, so that they could begin to heal. Perhaps unconsciously. Well, Doctor, that's how I choose to view it. Reviewing the reports of your Admiralty and the transcripts of the trial, what I saw of the man there is not a man that I would want as my Chief Science Officer. It's a man that I'd want as my First Officer. Come again, sir? You confronted your fellow officers that you'd been serving with for years with the truth. You weren't afraid of confronting that truth, and you've seen the consequences of shirking the responsibilities of a doctor and of a first officer who may be called upon to remove a captain from his command if the situation calls for it. Perhaps. Those are the attributes of the kind of person that I would want as my first officer. I mean, you know I was barred from taking the command exam for three years. I'm aware of that. However, we don't have a, an official first officer on this ship. Now, I can't give you a promotion and reinstate you to your rank of commander. Nor can I transfer you from the sciences department into command. However, if you're willing to assume the responsibilities of a first officer and 
to check me when you feel that I need it, to provide alternative scenarios and uh, dissenting opinion to fulfill the responsibilities of a first officer, I think that you can. My people have a belief that consensus should never be given. It should be earned through debate, exhaustive sometimes, sometimes brief. But if there are 12 people in the room and 11 of them agree, it is the responsibility of the 12th to take the contrarian position, simply to explore the alternative perspective. I can do that for you. Doctor, if you could pursue the truth and those difficult truths that your fellow officers needed to confront with such passion and commitment, I have no doubt of your abilities to do so with me. Then I accept the position of first officer and know that I do not accept it lightly. I feel its weight now more than I ever did when I held that rank officially. Loss tends to do that for us, Doctor. It reminds us of the weight of the burdens that we carry and that we choose to take on. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, Doctor. As First Officer, however, and as Chief Science Officer, officially at least, I would like you to prepare a report on our current mission and brief the rest of the senior staff. Likewise, I'd like you to examine any information that you can about this nebula, anything that's been gleaned from sensor scans or the probes that we've lost. Make sure that everyone's up to date and that you have a plan for the uh, scientific exploration of this nebula prepared. I've received the preliminary reports from Admiral Ignatrix already, and uh, I'm working on my own theories. With your permission, I'll go to the science lab to prepare. Very good, Doctor. You're dismissed. And, uh, sir, if I may. Of course, Doctor. Uh, I believe that referring to me as doctor, though I appreciate it, would undermine Dr. LL's authority as chief medical officer, and I would uh, request that I be properly addressed by my rank. Very good. Lieutenant Commander, you may see to your duties. Thank you, sir. And uh, Dottie will stand and leave the, uh, leave the ready room, perhaps uh, looking not quite as slumped Got it. All right. Well, uh, before we take our break, I think I know exactly the kind of scene I want to uh, take the break on. So we actually now go to the Congo Bridge. And the bridge itself is, uh, well, fairly modern in terms of design. Um, it has a three almost tier or layer system. 
in which uh, the bottommost layer, the one where the con and op station is, uh, you have Ensign Rowan at the helm, you have a red shirt currently filling the ops position. Um, then at the second layer, the quote-unquote ground level, um, that leads to the rest of deck one. Uh, you, of course, have the captain's chair, one to either side. And then at the third tier, uh, right above that, behind the captain's chair, uh, you have MSDs, science stations, tactical, uh, everything that you could expect to have on a bridge. And uh, as you walk onto the bridge, uh, we've got fives here. We've got Rowan here. Um, would Jaro be here as well just to supervise the launch of the Congo? Uh, and I guess same question for Datig. And for Alel, if Alel wants to be here as well. Yes. Okay, yeah, I'll I think add so. Alel in. Yeah, Jaro would be there. <laughs> All right, so whole crew is here. All righty. So, uh, as everybody settles He's in... sitting back silently judging the helmsman. As one does. So as everybody finds their stations, gets situated, a sort of silence falls over the bridge as everybody sort of just waits for Captain Lee to give the order. It's in Jaro. Are all systems operational? Yes, sir. Very good. Ensign Rowan. Sir? Decouple from Deep Space October. Thrusters until we're clear of the station. And take us up to warp five. Aye, sir. And we sort of go to an exterior shot of the gangplank uh, disengaging from the Congo's airlock. And true to form, we have almost a motion picture shot where we spend the 20 minutes circling around the Congo as it exits... Uh, Deep Space October and the moment you are clear of the station and are given clearance to warp, the nacelles light up and launch the ship towards its very first mission and that's where we'll take our 10 minute break. So yeah, we'll be back in about 5 to 10 minutes everybody. Stick around. Alright, welcome back everyone and uh, if you're just tuning in, the crew of the USS Congo has settled in and has proceeded towards a nebula to investigate why probes have been disappearing inside this nebula and as the congo we see the congo exiting warp uh, on the edge of this nebula and as far as nebulas go it's actually very visually impressive um, it is the sort of interstellar gases of dark purples and blues with little hints of red and almost turquoise uh, swirl around in sort of cloudy formations and it's one of those things that as we zoom in on the Congo itself, uh, we actually go to the conference room where the senior staff is meeting to discuss what's going on with the nebula. And what I would say is that all of you are afforded a fantastic view out of the conference room windows of the nebula itself. But yeah, uh, now that we are in the conference room, I'm going to let you guys run your own meeting and interject only as Rowan. Lieutenant Commander Datig, I believe that you've prepared a report on the nebula and what information we've been able to glean regarding it. Uh, please proceed. Yes, sir. Um, the nebula itself, the composition is relatively inconsequential. Dust, hydrogen, helium, ionized gas. Um, the size, likewise, is uh, very, very small. Uh, approximately 600 AU across. 
so roughly 0.01 light years. Uh, it's less than 1,000 years old. Plotting a uh, typical survey pattern would take us roughly 20 days to thoroughly map it. Now that being said, we have had issues with probes uh, disappearing once they penetrate approximately 150 AU into the nebula. There is no indication of why. Uh, there is speculation that uh, this is some form of uh, dark nebula or an absorption nebula, uh, but it is um, much smaller than um, what's known as Bach globules, which are very, very small dark nebulae. Uh, also, the makeup of a standard dark or absorption nebula wouldn't account for the loss of subspace signal. Hmm. Potentially, we could be looking at a planetary nursery, and the probes merely suddenly impacted a uh, surface of a forming planetary body. Um, there is also another less likely possibility. We could perhaps be looking at a localized phenomena not often encountered by starships. The, uh, I believe, uh, sir, that you are familiar with the concept of null space. That's right, Doctor. Potentially, uh, it's as good an explanation as any. Nonetheless, if this were a stellar nursery, Doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, would we not have received telemetry from the probes indicating some sort of uh, massive bodies within the nebula. Typically, yes, but typically um, Bach globules are not stellar nurseries so much as they are planetary ones. Hmm. It's possible if a planetary body is forming, um, it may not have uh, sufficient mass to, I suppose, uh, trigger proximity alarms. The planetary body itself also may be in flux. And if this is a dark nebula, or if we're dealing with Bach globules, I do recall that the Starship Voyager once encountered a set of life forms that seemed to be composed of dark matter, or at least that was the operating theory under which they were uh, they encountered these creatures. Might we be dealing with Anything similar? Could there be some form of intelligence behind the disappearance of our probes? Hmm. Perhaps, but I believe if I remember my history that the dark matter life forms encountered by Voyager were not native to our space-time continuum. Indeed. However, that doesn't rule them out as potential causes for the loss of our probes. In any event, I urge caution before deciding to take the Congo in. Fives. Based on the doctor's speculations, is there anything that we can do to better prepare the Congo for any of these various different possible causes of the probe's disappearance? Uh, yeah, actually, um, we can 
uh, to avoid any kind of dark matter spatial fluctuations, assuming this might be a rift between uh, some kind of dark matter realm, uh, we can tune our shields to the precise uh, frequency of those spatial fluctuations, and that will mitigate any damage to the ship. Um, in regards to stellar nurseries, those those calculations are pretty well understood. We can avoid those pretty easily. I'm a little concerned that such a new nebula might be uh, a home or a hideout for um, folks who are seeking to do ill. I don't really know what to speculate on that, but um, there could be advanced cloaking. Sensors haven't picked up any traces of habitation or ships entering or leaving. Um, so that's uh, that's a tactical assessment, sir. Thank you, Lieutenant. Would you recommend that we go to Yellow Alert as we conduct our exploration of the nebula, or...? Not at this time. Very good. I'd like you to begin to make the necessary modifications to the shield such that we can modulate their frequency to account for potential encounters with dark matter within the nebula, if that is what we're dealing with. Understood. Ensign Jaro. Sir. Is it possible that you could account for some of these possibilities or the doctor's speculations, uh, forgive me, the Lieutenant Commander's speculations? Uh, is there some way that we could reinforce our probes to at least penetrate slightly further into the nebula to give us a better idea of what we might be dealing with here? I can... Uh... I could take one of the probes and increase its increase its uh, shielding, um, and uh, also boost its communication so that we get a full sensor sweep from it in, uh, as it's going into the nebula, and have it ping us every moment it's moving forward. And maybe we'll get some sort of reading off of it before it goes inert. Uh, may I? make an addendum, Ensign? Of course. Would it be possible for us to rig a receiver on this probe to receive a tunneling neutrino beam? Those beams typically would penetrate subspace and that would help us to eliminate some of the possibilities. Uh, well, also with our, uh, with our uh, advanced tech here on the ship, we might be able to utilize that um, to keep a communication line open with it. If I may, sir, um, we may be able to reinforce any uh, sensory probes that we send out there with temporal shielding. Not that I anticipate any kind of time travel issues with this, but uh, temporal shielding does keep those pros slightly out of phase with the regular continuum, which means if anybody is going to try to steal it or anything, we'll get a heads up before they can adapt to that. A wise precaution, Lieutenant. How long do you think it would take to outfit the probe with both uh, enhanced communication relays such that we might be able to uh, obtain information from it longer and enhance its shielding? Uh, the way uh, Chief Jaro's got those boys whipped up down in engineering, we could probably do it within the hour. Very good. Comments, concerns, suggestions? Did I miss anything out of character? 
Not really. No. Did we talk about life form potential? Not yet. Okay. Um, sir, might I recommend just simply hailing the nebula? An unorthodox suggestion, uh, well, doctor, but please continue. Well, Fives over here seems to think that something's going to steal a probe, so we may as well just hail whatever's in there before we assume it's going to steal something from us. <clears throat> it might behoove us to send out a universal greeting. I appreciate the, the suggestion, Doctor. It might be first contact, Captain, I'm just saying. I hope not on our first mission, Doctor. Oh, what if we're lucky, though? We got lucky more than enough times on the Fenrir. I think, uh, I think I'm comfortable just with a, a nice investigation of a dull, average, everyday nebula. Just this once. Okay. Fine. But the next one... Well, the next one is always a new adventure. Last That's thoughts? That's all I've got. That's all I've got, Captain. All right. Jaro, Fives, get down to Mainjin Engineering, try to retrofit one of those uh, probes, and Lieutenant Commander Datig, as best as possible, try to refine our sensors. If we can penetrate even just a few more astronomical units into the nebula with our onboard sensor array, I think that, uh, well, we would benefit from the added information. Oh, see what I can do. I may require considerable power from main engineering. Ensign, can you accommodate me? Let me know. Let me know when you're ready. I will. Very good. Dismissed. And as we all filter out of the conference room, uh, I think actually Ensign Rowan sort of hangs back uh, unless you literally bolt for the door there, uh, Lee. So maybe as everybody else filters out, uh, Rowan's still in her seat and uh, seems to be looking at you expectantly, Captain. And Lee will settle back into his chair. Was there some concern, Ensign? A little bit, sir. I, I didn't want to bring it up in front of the others. Um, I'm still new at this whole actual officer thing, so I apologize if it's out of turn, but I don't think we're going to be doing any fancy flying in there, sir. Um, if I understood what uh, Lieutenant Commander Dottig said, I think we're probably going to be limited to a fourth impulse, half impulse at best. So maybe we should hope we don't get into a firefight. Ensign, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Obviously, Starship piloting is not an area of expertise. It's never been something that I've been familiar with. So I appreciate you bringing that concern to my attention. And what I would say is that if you're brought into a staff meeting like this, you have earned the right to sit at this table. Feel free to speak your mind. Oh, well, um, thank you, sir. Um, I'll, I'll make a point to do so in the future. Thank you. As long as it's carried out in an attitude of mutual respect, I'm happy to hear any concerns that you might have. I'll, uh, I'll remember that, sir. Thank you. Ensign. And it is at that point that the Ensign gets up and exits. But uh, we're now going to just sort of linger on the dark uh, nebula screen because you guys are doing a bunch of things across the ship. Uh, so let's sort of narrow down and provide some mechanics for what's going on here. 
So, uh, in terms of what Fives and uh, what Jaro are doing, um, you guys are more or less enhancing a probe such that it might be able to get further into the nebula, might have a better communication, uh, sort of accoutrement, etc., etc. So, what I'm going to say is the following. Um, right now, if you send a base probe into the nebula, um, your task would be a difficulty 5 to get anything from the probe. Now, the way it's going to work for Jaro and Fives is the longer you guys take, or maybe the more successes you guys get, it's going to affect how many or how big the difficulty is when you send the probe out next. So it's almost like a signals jamming task in a way that you get to select your own difficulty here. And just so you know, uh, Jaro, you'd be rolling a control and engineering. Um, fives, I think a control security on your part would be prudent. Well, we're team go big or go home, aren't we? Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> um, All right, so how can... long do you think we need this to last? Jaro's looking at the uh, looking at the probe. I mean, the probe telemetry that uh, you know we previously received is pretty close to nothing. So more than that. Well, I think we can. No, no, the captain probably wants his probe back if we can get it back. Um, so let's let's do uh, let's do let's do uh, yeah let's let's yeah let's do that. Um, Okay, so uh, yeah, let's just sure the thing up and do our best to get it get it in. Uh, Multiphasic shields. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, we can do this. Uh, full spectrum sensor array. Hmm. Do we have any? Do you know if we have any uh, viridium isotopes on board? Um, actually, I don't think I don't think we do. I haven't done it. I haven't looked at a full inventory yet. Um, but well, I know that uh, the lieutenant commander is in the science lab. Maybe he will know if we have any. I'm thinking if we can put a Viridian packet on uh, the probe, the ship sensors can lock onto that much more easily than trying to detect any signals. Uh, coming from the probe, which would at least let us be able to track it if the telemetry stops. Mm -hmm. It's real easy. You put it in a little box and you drop it in the the probe casing. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's get Dateg on. Jared uh, Dateg. Dateg here. Go ahead, Ensign. Yeah. Um, five said. Yeah. Five said a question for you. Uh, he, that Jaro's already like tinkering with the probe. No, oh, that is right. That's that's Cave Dotic. You want me to? to... Um, uh, go Lieutenant ahead, Commander. Mr. Tate. Yes, um, Mr. Tate. Uh, I was wondering if you have been able to ascertain if we have any viridium isotopes on board. I, I would like to include one in the casing of the probe. Oh, well, GM, roll a challenge die. If you get an effect, you do. Alright. I love effects. I like to wave at them as they pass me by. Could we just spend the two momentum to 
I mean, we could also create an advantage. I was going to say, if you want to spend the two momentum to do it, certainly, but I don't know. Yeah, I have things for this in my sheet. I forgot what they are, but... Let me take a look. Collaboration science, cautious science, insightful guidance. So basically, if you're assisting anyone, you're a credit team, as it were. Yes. I don't think I'm in the room, but I'll support you in spirit. You can't have any perks. <laughs> um. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? We'll go ahead and spend two momentum to create an advantage to say that, uh, yes, we do have a supply of viridium isotopes. Very well. Okay. It has been so noted. You're down to three momentum. Okay. And uh, Dothy, we're probably, um, yes, we do have a relatively small supply. Oh, um, cool. I need, uh, let me hold on, carry the one. Uh, I need 0.1 uh, kilograms. Easily uh, accommodated. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll send a runner from engineering up to grab that. Uh, his, his name is, is Smith. How are you, um, sir? And a, uh, a chief kind of turns around and says, Oh, uh, you mean me, sir? Uh, yeah, that's Smith. Uh, uh, Char will cut the line to Dateg. <laughs> I've read everything he's ever published. The guy is a it's, genius. It's just Dateg. Am I, I am I going to get that uh, isotope, Sha? Sure. Yes. Uh, um, quick. It's your, it's your room. Yeah. <laughs> and aforementioned Ensign runs off to go obtain something from Dateg. But yeah, uh, what's what's the difficulty on this going to be, guys? What are you? Uh, how hard are you going to go? Hmm. Well, I, I think if it's a diff five, if it's a diff five on the other end of it, if we just take it, you know, make this a diff three. I can assist on a diff three. Yeah. All right, and if you have a focus related to uh, jury rigging. Uh, anything related to probes, uh, little anything related to communication. Oh yeah, if you're gonna let me use jury rigging, well, of course. Then, <laughs> then we're going to have a five diff. Okay. <laughs> because I actually have the d- jury rig talent. Okay, now that is important okay. to note because if I remember correctly, jury rig lasts for the scene and then the mm-hmm. device basically goes defunct. Which is why I was saying I think the captain might want his device back, but. Yeah, we're just going to go for it. All right. Well, again, it is a uh, control engineering for Jaro and a control security for fives. Control engineering. I will spend one momentum. Well, if you're going difficulty five, you might want to spend... down to a three because of jury rigging. Okay. So I automatically bring it down to a three. So we'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. And before complications. <laughs> that is not complications. That's five, wow. six successes. So you actually get three momentum right back. Wow. And, uh, and we're going to spend, again. and we're going to go ahead and spend one of those momentum to make it last for an extra scene. Okay. Has been so noted. So yeah, I would say that uh, once your runner comes back with the isotope, Jaro, you throw in the box, fives, you throw in your little accoutrements, and before the hour's up that you told the captain to be ready, and you're like, you're done at 45 minutes, you have a very solid probe ready to go. 
Wow. You you are extremely skilled. Uh, um, I'm actually for fives. Uh, yeah, fives. No, fives then. You, we we met earlier. You you said to call you Jaro. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I don't know. I'm I'm a little scattered today. That's okay. I got a pretty good memory. You'll notice the whole time that Fives was working with you, he had no tricorder whatsoever. Okay. If you had asked about that, he'd just be like, the eye sees all, knows all. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Jaro, the captain? Yes, Ensign. Uh, I believe our probe is ready. I see that you cut out the buffer time, but not in your projections. Uh, well, uh, Fives was a lot more help than I originally thought he would be, sir. That sounds like an insult, okay. Lieutenant. Uh, oh, no. Are you going to take that? No, it was not an insult at all. It was, you know, I assumed uh, a great level of competence. It, he uh, was exceptional. Well, Don't listen to him. He did it all. It was great. <laughs> Excellent work either way, gentlemen. Any concerns about this probe or anything that we should know about before we launch? Yeah, it's not going to last long. <laughs> It'll last longer than any of the other probes that uh, we've sent in and will probably just give us a heads up to the conditions deeper inside the nebula, sir. Once we know right. those, we can, uh, we can adapt and make something more sturdy and resolute. Very good. Fives, if you're done down there, I'd like you to report the bridge and uh, continue with the attempted modifications to the shields, just in case. Hi, sir. Very uh, good. Jaro, you need anything else? I'll see you later. Th right. Thank you very much for your help. Cheers. And uh, Ensign Jaro, please pass my compliments on to the rest of your staff as well. I'm sure that they contributed. Oh, yes, sir. They they're doing a great job so far very good and then uh, Jaro is going to um, provide Dateg with uh, extra sensors by uh, using past the red line okay um, which uh, allows me to provide him bonus momentum for using the uh, system okay uh, it's a daring engineering task with a difficulty equal to the bonus momentum I wish to give him. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, you know, it's Dateg. I'm only going to give him one. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for that. But <laughs> at least it's a free momentum. I mean, it's true. If it's you, true. If, yeah, if you pass the watch him roll, like, 20s. Yeah, I would say now's when the complication happens. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing's going to explode. There's well, your one. you got your one. Draw <laughs> uh, uh, to Dateg. Uh, I believe you should have uh, a little extra power routed to your sensor array. Excellent. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jaro. I'll, I'll certainly need it. All right. So, Mr. Dateg, we now come to the actual act of sending out the probe and getting telemetry back. So, uh, this is how it's going to break down. Uh, we are going to treat this like a uh, open... Well, actually, let me... Now that I read it again, I think I'm going to amend what I was about to say. We're going to treat this like a sensor sweep, uh, but it's going to come from the probe. 
So you're going to roll a reason science. The ship and the probe will assist you with the sensor science. We'll just treat the probe and the ship as one entity. And due to the interference from the nebula, um, again, it was difficulty five. You succeeded on a difficulty three to more or less beef up the probe. So that comes down to a difficulty of two. Um, the advanced sensor suites of the... Oh, difficulty five. Difficulty five, you're right. Um, so I actually think I have to spend some threat here to bring it back up. Um, but you also have advanced sensor suites on the Congo, which brings it down by another one. So I'm going to spend three threat to make uh, overall that there is a difficulty of two on this roll. Okay. All right. Um, and I can use the bonus momentum from, uh, from Jaro mm -hmm. on this roll. Uh, that is, I think, if you succeed, you get a bonus momentum using that system. Right, okay. So you could spend it on obtain information or to help create an advantage, basically. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I'll go ahead and spend a point of our momentum to, mm -hmm. uh, to get an extra die on that roll. I've got the ship. And, um, GM, would my uh, focus in astrophysics uh, I'd give it to you, yeah. come into play here? Perfect. All right. Here we go. Three successes means you get two momentum back, or one momentum back. No, four. Four successes, so you do get two momentum back. And yeah, uh, what I'm going to say is we sort of go to an external shot of the Congo as uh, out of one of the forward bays, uh, the probe is launched out and soars into the nebula. And you're getting standard telemetry back, like you're seeing that um, it's, as you said earlier, just nebula full of interstellar gases, hydrogen, helium, etc., etc. But as it proceeds in for about a minute, maybe two minutes, um, you do begin to get telemetry that it has found uh, one of the other probes. And when you see that, I'm curious what you do with that information. Um, the probe itself does appear to be transmitting a message. Um, but until you tell me otherwise, I'm going to say that you don't actually actively look at the message. Like you haven't connected to the probe yet. Um, no, I guess I'll, I'll make the, I suppose I'm still in the science lab, so I'll just tap my comm badge and say, yeah. Dating to the captain. Go ahead. Sir, the probe that we've sent in is picking up one of our other lost probes. Uh, there seems to be a message or a data in the derelict probes buffer. Can you create an uplink that will allow us to access that information, particularly pertaining to what might have caused it to cease operations? I can. Um, however, I recommend that we create a partition in the main computer core to prevent any potential malicious coding or other hostile threats from affecting the ship's systems. A wise precaution. Uh, please contact Jaro and ask him to make the necessary modifications. Perhaps upload the data to an entirely physically separate module, some kind of backup data core that can be separated from the main computer core physically. It's easy enough. We can repurpose one of these spare units. Excellent. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, Lieutenant Commander, my apologies. It's all right. We're both new. All right. 
So, uh, what I'm going to say is that since you pretty much covered it in roleplay, you do create a physically separated partition to download the message into. And it is at this point that I have a handout to show everybody. So, uh, what this handout is, is that the probe is continually transmitting the following message. And if you look, this is all that you find data-wise on the probe is this message. And the Universal Translator hasn't been able to make heads or tails of it quite yet. And for those who can't see the screen right now for whatever reason, um, it's basically a string of numbers that doesn't really seem to make sense at the first glance. Hmm. And what I would say out of character is that is actually something you could decipher. Um, it is something I checked the translation on. It is decipherable. But yeah, uh, as you all are sort of mulling that over, uh, your probe that you sent out continues onward. And it is at this point that, um, let's, you know, let's have Watney roll this one. Watney, to yeah. represent the ongoing nature of the danger in this nebula, um, I would like you to roll me to start one challenge die here to represent how far the probe gets inside. Um, basically, if you roll an effect, the probe no longer continues to function due to something either colliding with it or otherwise dampening its return. I don't have that macro. Uh, you might have to re-enable it. Um, it should be in the game if you go into your macros tab. Um, yeah, I, I see it. Uh, yeah, it's available to all players. Mm -hmm. Okay. I definitely... Where's the tab? Uh, it's the bulleted list up near the gear. Yeah? It's not... Yeah, no, I have it. Okay. Uh, what am I... Just one? Just one to start with. Okay, here we go. All right, so yeah, the probe continues onward past the lost probe. And as it does so, um, you see another dead probe, more or less. Do you wish to download this one as well? Yeah, we can we can download it into the same physically separate terminal. Okay, you do so. Same message as before. Same down to the numbering. Everything is the same about this message. If I may, as science officer, Datig would have the free question to ask and the floating momentum. That he does. Are there any questions that anyone wants to ask? The one that immediately comes to mind is what disabled these probes or what stopped them from transmitting? But anything else? Hey, you do have free, two free questions by my count. Yeah, I think the what disabled the probe is an excellent question. Yeah. Okay. So what you're seeing is that there is very minimal sort of residual data about uh, what happened to the probe. But what you are seeing is the telltale sign of an immense energy overload, uh, meaning that something struck this, not like a phaser per se, but maybe like a laser or a tractor beam or anything high energy uh, that would have not only scrambled these uh, probes insides, but also messed with the computer uh, to produce this message. So that's question one. What's, uh, what's question two? I mean, I don't know if this is a, a spend 
momentum to obtain information uh, or if it's like in-game cross-referencing. Mm -hmm. But um, I would want to cross-reference the energy signatures recorded by the probe with anything that is exists in the Starfleet database regarding high energy deflector pulses, the various different weapons that are employed by species that we've encountered, uh, gotcha. or the dark matter nebula and the like. Gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, and I would say that would be another question. So that would be your second question, if you so wish. Sure. And what I would say is that, no, this does not correspond to any known energy emissions that you're aware of or the computer is aware of. Okay. It is at this point, uh, Alel, I need you to roll me now two challenge die. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. So you're starting to get a pattern here. The further the probe travels into the nebula, the more you're seeing the, I don't want to say carcasses, but the shells of these lost probes. Again, same message, same no idea what the hell the message says. Same signs that something high energy hit it. And Alel, give me one final uh, three challenge die, and I will then flavor appropriately. All right, and there's the effects. So what's going to happen is, and I'm only going to show this very briefly, uh, so make sure you're paying attention to the screen. But uh, for the moment, as you're looking at the probe's telemetry, it begins to break up and distort, um, almost as if something is actively jamming or attempting to saturate the area in subspace dampening technology. And one of the last images you get from the probe is what looks to be a disc surrounding a sun. And you only see it for about two frames before the probe cuts out completely. Hmm. Jaro's going to get to work uh, trying to decode the message using um, his encounters and discussions with Athena okay, uh, as a baseline. And he's just going to try to uh, do the good old let's roll for it scenario. Okay. Uh, why don't you roll me a insight and a security? Uh, I would say this would be at a difficulty of four. And if you have code breaking, uh, if you have ciphers, uh, anything that would be related to that, that would apply. You know, he's looking at this and he's thinking to himself, you know, what would John, what would Jana do? Uh, so he is going to spend a determination. Okay. And I'll, also, and I'll also spend two momentum. Okay. Uh, I do not have a focus on this guy. Yeah. All right. Yeah, unfortunately, only uh, That's four, four successes. Well, that is four. Yeah, yeah. So four yep. successes. Um, well, the only hint I'm going to give you is that it is a substitution cipher of some sort. So you have an inkling of what the cipher could be. Like it, it. You're you're starting to get ideas of what it could be, but I don't want to spoil the mystery and solve the clue for you. Okay. But yeah, uh, more to the point, uh, let me describe what you guys saw a little bit better, because um, I don't think I really sort of sold it. 
Um, when I say that there's a disc around the sun, I almost mean that there's this giant, almost frisbee-shaped object that is surrounding this red dwarf star. And even if you're not like super red up on mega structures, this would remind you of probably something that was referred to called an Alderson disc. But unfortunately, you would have to comb through the last uh, readings from the probe or fly in yourself to get more information on it. At this point, uh, Captain Lee would turn back to uh, Lieutenant Fives. Fives, can you conduct any kind of analysis on whatever it was, the nature of the energy or high energy particles that bombarded the probes. Is there any way that we could shield ourselves from either what of weapon this is or the natural phenomenon that might be producing them? I'll get on that, sir. I'll uh, work with the computer to see if we can align our shield metrics with uh, the energy readings. All right, so fives, I'd like you to roll me a reason security, uh, difficulty of two. I'm going to need a momentum to be able to do that because I don't think I have a focus for this unless observation counts. Actually, I would give you observation. Hey. All right, so 2d20 plus focus. Well, oh, 3d20 because you, uh, you got the momentum. Yeah. Okay. Reason. Survey says... You wait for it. <laughs> oh. All right, so I'm going to give you one bit of information, but unfortunately you did not get enough successes here. All you're able to tell is that the same energy pulse that disabled the other probes is what disabled the probe you just sent in, and it came from the structure. I'm sorry, sir. Um it looks like the energy readings here are a little more ambiguous than the ship can accommodate with our shields. Um, whatever it is, it's coming off that mega structure. The Congo is significantly more well shielded than the probe. Do we think that the unknown energy form would actually be able to knock us out in one hit if it did strike us, even under normal conditions without being able to modulate the shields? I think we're faster than it if uh, we do end up in danger, sir. Very good. Captain Lee to Dr. Dottig. Yes, Captain. Have you seen the last moments of telemetry from the probe? I have. Are you familiar with a theoretical megastructure known as an Alderson disk? I am, I suppose, tangentially. It's similar to a uh, ring world. Indeed, but more than just a planet, it's almost as large as an entire solar system, encircling yes. an entire sun. It's somewhat equivalent to the engineering capacities of a civilization that would be capable of constructing a Dyson sphere. Yes. 
Yes, it's quite impressive if true. What what are your thoughts? What do we do next? We can't allow such a unprecedented discovery to simply pass us by. We have to forge into the nebula, Doctor. I'd like you to coordinate with both Ensign Jaro and Chief Fives to, as best as possible, insulate the ship against any kind of defensive measures or natural phenomenon such as we've detected them. I'll see to it, sir. Very good. And Lee would then... Uh, is is Alel on the bridge or is she in sickbay? Up to Alel. Um, she'd probably be on the bridge. Okay. Then uh, Lee would turn to her. Doctor, it's entirely possible that we might be facing casualties. I'd like you to coordinate with uh, damage control teams and your medical staff to prepare for potential injuries. Uh, yes, sir. Are we assuming that there will be a... What's the word? Alderson's? Alderson disc. Alder, Alderson disc's amount of casualties? Oh, no. Not at all, Doctor. Um, I'm merely... Given our experiences on Fenrir with other megastructures, it only mm. seems prudent to be cautious and prepared in case something goes awry. I'll be ready, sir. Very good, Doctor. And I would say that unless any of the officers object or Dr. Datig, or Lieutenant Commander Datig has an objection regarding our course of action, once they were prepared and we felt the ship was had sufficiently battened down its, its hatches, mm -hmm. I would take the ship to red alert and plunge into the nebula. All right, and as the ship flies into the nebula, we're going to take another five to ten minute break because we're going to push three hours tonight. So yeah, we'll be back Yay. in uh, five to ten minutes. Stick around. And we're back uh, from our five minute break. And uh, if you're just tuning in, well, the Congo has launched, found its way to a nebula, and inside the nebula, they have found a miniature Alderson disk, a previously thought theoretical megastructure where... Um, more or less a ring world or a frisbee world uh, surrounds a star and I'm going to let the players take it from here because I think they have a bunch of details that uh, you may find interesting that they're getting from the Congo sensors at this current juncture so yeah take it away guys Captain I'm uh, the nature of the nebula is making it very difficult to scan for things like life forms on the disc hmm. yeah it's uh it's tiny in comparison to the uh theoretical projections sir uh it's only a, a few thousand kilometers uh in size uh sensors are showing that um the the area that would be habitable is about uh the size of the surface of earth uh, on both sides I'm more fascinated by the fact that we have a red dwarf star in the center surrounded by a nebula that is far, far too young to accommodate such a stellar phenomenon. What if it's a rogue red dwarf? And what do these numbers mean? 
Jaro, is there any way that we could further refine the sensor systems to give us more information about the surface of the world, life forms, something that might let us punch through the interference, possibly communicate with anyone who might be on this megastructure? Uh, if you, yeah, if you want something out of the sensors, uh, yeah, I should be able, I should be able to help with that. He, he, he sounds like he's shuffling st stuff around like he was trying to, uh, to do something else. Is everything all right down there, Anson? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I should be able to, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can get it. Very good, Ensign. Um, proceed. All right. So, Jaro, uh, what I would say is that your modifications to the sensors, uh, that's going to be a daring and an engineering uh, difficulty of two. Okay. Um, yeah, I do not have anything for sensors. All right. So, you said daring engineering? You got it. Okay, and we'll use uh, momentum. Yeah, only one success. So try as you might, Jaro. Um, I mean, again, the Congo has advanced sensor suites, so it's it's definitely far more advanced than say just a, a Galaxy class or uh, your run of the real Miranda class. But even with the increased fidelity and precision of these advanced sensors, you still can't punch through this omnipresent interference that's surrounding this disk. Sorry, Captain. I I, I just I just can't get anything else. Captain, may I recommend we come to full stop? If anything comes at us from there without us being able to accurately sense it, it would be prudent to make sure we have time to back away. Hmm. very good helm bring us to a full stop until we can potentially get a better understanding of what it is that we're dealing with here and uh of course your helm officer says aye sir and time passes and maybe about 30 seconds at that and when you look out of the view screen you're still getting closer to the alderson desk tactical are we caught in a gravitational field a tractor beam what's going on checking ship systems uh can i get a roll you certainly may uh go ahead and roll me a reason security difficulty of two and the ship will assess you with a sensor security meaning that the difficulty comes down to a one and uh would shipboard tactical systems assist with this it certainly would And who has the ship? Come on, complication. Yeah, unfortunately, no complication, no uh, no successes there, which means the ship can assist you. So yeah, fives, you got a whole lot of nothing. You have no idea what's going on right now. Nothing is registering on sensors or ship systems, sir. I cannot tell if we are drifting towards it, or I guess I can tell you we're not drifting towards it due to gravity. Nonetheless, it could be some sort of gravitational anomaly rather than the actual gravity of the system itself. Helm, start backing us off. Fight against the pull. 
Hi, sir. And you all hear across the ship the impulse engines of the Congo. It sort of gets a louder and louder whine. And eventually Helm reports, um, sir, we're... I, I, I can push this harder, but uh, Jaro would probably be spending the next week yelling at me. Very well. Are you noticing any reciprocal response, or is it just that the force is too great for us to overcome? A uh, little column A, little column B, sir. Um, it almost... It's like a tractor beam, but less violent, um, less jerky, if that makes any sense, sir. Deactivate the impulse engines. Let it take us in. Can you extrapolate the course that it's taking us on? Obviously, it's towards the facility. Is there a particular location on the Alderson disc that we're being drawn to? Uh, yes, sir. Working. And Rowan works for a moment and then reports. Uh, looks like it's guiding us towards the habitable zone, sir. Hmm. I... I would like to suggest that this kind of response uh, may conclude that there is life on there and it knows about us. It may simply be some form of automated guidance system for incoming craft. We can't be certain of that. However, Chief, make all necessary precautions or preparations for a violent altercation. If it comes down to it, I want us to be ready to defend ourselves. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, may I also recommend broadcasting all uh, friendly intentions on all frequencies on a repeat, just in case. Lieutenant, I was just about to do that. Aye, sir. Nonetheless, I appreciate your propensity to pursue a peaceful resolution to situations. Thank you, sir. Open hailing frequencies and send out a standard Federation greeting on all channels and on all known languages. Frequencies open, all channels. I just had a thought, sir. Given that our probes have produced some kind of mathematical construct, uh, perhaps we should uh, also send those messages on all mathematical languages as well. An excellent suggestion. Please do so. And uh, you may wish to coordinate with Lieutenant Commander Datig. I'm sure that he has a great deal of facility in those kinds of languages. Yes, sir. <laughs> nice. All right, so uh, we're now going to go to this scene as I describe you all approaching. So because you're not fighting it anymore, um, the Congo just very gracefully begins to approach the... Uh, quote-unquote top of the Alderson disc and as you get closer and closer to the world what you realize is that it's split up into almost four distinct zones uh, on the surface of the disc the first portion the one that's closest to the red dwarf star um, that is sort of a black uh, almost heat blasted um, hellscape uh, that sits between um well, the star and everything else. Uh, beyond this first ring, there is a bunch of arid deserts, uh, almost like a Class L world. And beyond that is a Class M environment where you're seeing actual clouds, uh, actual greenery, signs that there are maybe some oceans here. Um, it's almost as if someone were to take a view of the Earth 
and just turn it into a frisbee. Like I think I've said frisbee a thousand times this stream already, but it's honestly the best sort of visual description I can think of. Um, so outside of this habitable zone, um, beyond that is an icy frozen landscape that is borderline class L, uh, the closer you all you are to the habitable zone, but it definitely gets to a point where it is inhabitable very quickly. And as you become, as the Congo swoops in and comes closer and closer and closer to the surface of the world, uh, I did want to ask is, is there anything you guys want to do before you quote unquote arrive at the surface? Probably devote more resources to decoding this uh, cipher. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's it's probably safe to say that uh, you could attempt another reason security uh, difficulty of four at this point. Is there any way we could use this as an extended task as we're being drawn in, or is that uh, is there not enough time for that? I would say there's not enough time, but I like where your mind's at. Is there a giant turtle under it? Yeah, I mean that that is what chat suggests is that it is. I mean it's it's oh, very yeah. close to Discworld. <laughs> Um, it is somewhat, somewhat similar where it is basically a disc that's around a star. Mm -hmm. um, but no, there are no giant turtles from what you can see. Uh, Alel would prep, like, is there at any point can we scan for life forms? Uh, yeah, at this point you can scan for life forms, Alel. Uh, go ahead and give, go ahead and give me a reason medicine, and uh, the sensor or the the ship can't actually assist you because of the interference so just a reason medicine uh difficulty of two and your xenobiology focus would apply Yay. and you get two successes so yeah you find a life form allel in fact you're being guided towards one of the life forms in particular by whatever's spiriting you along and specifically you're seeing something like this. And again, for those who can't see the screen, I will describe it for you. So the creature you're seeing is a bipedal creature with an exoskeleton-like armored skin. It has two small half skulls on its shoulders and a long black forked tail. It has red eyes, a skeletal face, and long spikes up top of its head. And you're also able to tell that it's about 120 meters tall, 180 meters in length. And if you had to guess, probably on the magnitude of about 60,000 metric tons. Uh, sir? Yes, doctor? I found, is there more than one, GM? Uh, well, do you want to spend a momentum to ask that question? Yeah, I do want to do that. All right. Well, uh, yeah, you're actually seeing that there are multiple of these creatures. In fact, the closer you get to the ring, the more you can scan the ring. Um, yeah, these things are all over the place. Okay. Uh, okay. So I'm picking up a large life form. Our course seems to be direct directly headed towards it. It's about half as half as tall as the wait what's this math it's 180 meters in length mm -hmm. did, yeah and the congo is 300 by 130 by 70 yeah no i'm saying that out loud did to the captain could you jaro are the sensors operating 
properly? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, sir, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm checking it out now. And he, he runs a, a quick scan. Yeah, it all seems to be working correctly. Doctor, did you just say that you detected a life form that is how large? A 120 meters tall and 180 meters in length, sir. Doctor, I don't think I need to tell anyone on this bridge that that is completely physiologically impossible. It's also 60,000 metric tons. I, I reiterate, Doctor, that is, it would collapse under its own mass. There's no... Are you questioning my sanity or something? My abilities? Maybe the sensors are off, but this is what I'm seeing. The, <laughs> so... This, this square cubed law would prohibit something so massive. Is it responsible for the force that's drawing us here? Uh, presuming that it's not an illusion, a hologram, or some machination of the queue? All I can say, sir, is we're headed directly for it. Fives, direct your hailing frequencies towards the creature on the off chance that it can actually receive them. Yes, sir. And fives will do so. All right. And actually, fives, at this point, now that you're closer, I'd like you to roll me another reason security. Uh, difficulty of one this time. And uh, I believe you have what? Observation? Observation would definitely apply here. Cool. Wow. All right. Woo! Uh, that is four successes, which means you get three momentum back. What's pulling you in is almost like a, uh, a tooth that is sticking up from the surface of the ring. And it is emitting what is essentially a very advanced tractor beam. And that's what's pulling you in is the tractor beam from this toothy outcropping. Um, as far as what the creature's doing, the creature is not controlling this structure, whatever it is, but it is nearby. So it does look like, even though you're being pulled in towards it, it's not like a beeline to the creature. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Can I get a visual on the tooth? Uh, you certainly can. And when you do uh, pop it up on the view screen, uh, what you see is it's almost like a uh, Space Odyssey 2001 uh, monolith uh, in terms of design, but it is tapered at the top. Captain, I've identified the source of what seems to be pulling us in. Uh, this structure is emitting uh, a tractor beam of some unknown type. Um, now that we're close enough to the area, um, we can we can get a lock on that. Um, the creature is within proximity of the tooth, but it doesn't seem to be responding to any of our hails. Hmm. Not unexpected. Does the structure you've identified have any markings, glyphs, any way of perhaps entering into it? Is it a facility or is it undifferentiated? Uh, I will do a uh, 10x or 50x magnification on the facility to see if there's any uh, movement or if it looks like it is uh, a single like slab structure. Yeah, so just as I said, it is monolith in design, which means it is a single solid piece, no glyphs, no 
pictures, no dents, just a single solid black and brown outcropping. And uh, in terms of proximity to the beast, is it comparable in size? Uh, it is actually slightly larger. Um, so it maybe has a few hundred meters above the creature, but it's not particularly much larger than the creature. And actually, um, now that you're looking at it some more, you sort of pan the camera around and you see that there are regular teeth-like installations um, at every so often around this habitable zone. Any signs of... Uh, I don't know if I can ask questions or anything or if I can maybe... Well, at this point, you're going to have to give me momentum for the questions. Okay. Um, I will... Um... I will use a momentum to see if we can, if there's any signs of other uh, crashed or damaged ships or any other um, vessels as small as a, even a probe um, in some kind of uh, orbit. Okay. So there's nothing in orbit, uh, but you are detecting what could be uh, very large, or not very large, very ancient, at least as far as human lifespan is concerned. Uh, crash sites that are maybe about 400 to 500 years old. You also detect one or two of the probes that Starfleet sent in here to begin with, and they have crashed on the surface. Um, Five's voice becomes uh, unexpectedly urgent. Sir, I'm picking up multiple crash sites from other ships and at least two Federation probes. Uh, these crash sites are hundreds of years old, but uh, it doesn't seem like we're coming in for lunch. If it seems that the tractor beam increases in force, or that we're in danger of colliding with the planet, I would like you to prepare a firing solution on the tractor beam emitter. Yes, sir. And Fives will get to work to uh, target uh, phasers and uh, a photon, photon torpedo solution on the tooth. Okay. Lieutenant Commander uh, Datig. Is there anything that we could do to potentially disrupt that tractor beam? Yes, I believe a uh, coherent graviton pulse may disrupt the field long enough for the ship to break away. Unfortunately, we're also surrounded by similar tractor emitters. Hmm. GM, this might be mm -hmm. a question that requires a momentum spend. If it does, I won't, I won't ask it. But um, can I determine what the disposition of the creature is towards the, um, the emitter? Is it shying away from it as if it has been uh, almost like gone through Pavlovian conditioning to uh, shy away from it? Right. Or is it attempting to guard it? Is it aware of it? Or just treating it like part of the scenery? I'll give this to you free. Um, you're noticing that the creatures, uh, not just this one, but all of the ones you can detect, all of them are hanging around the tooth tractor beam emitters Almost like um, if you were to put cheese in a maze for a rat, the rat becomes expectant of the cheese, is what I'm getting at here. And we can't get any sensor scans, potentially even from the inside of the monolith. We don't know if they're hollow or if they are... Yeah, they are basically black boxes. They yield no information, unfortunately. then unless it becomes apparent that there's some kind of danger to the ship, I would uh, essentially allow the tractor beam emitters to bring us down. Um, okay. 
and allow them to carry through. Um, and while the ship is sort of descending towards the, the ring world, I would put it to the crew. Observations or concerns, speculations regarding the nature of this megastructure or these fantastical creatures that we've encountered? I don't know why, but I'm getting the distinct feeling that this is some sort of nature preserve. That these tooth-like structures may in fact be designed to harvest food for the inhabitants. That seems a rather inefficient means of caring for these creatures. Very. I can't imagine that any civilization with the conceptual ability to develop something like this would be so foolish in their attempt to care for these creatures. But nonetheless, Doctor, an interesting prospect. They're guarding something. And Dag, since you figured that out out of character, if you figure out uh, what the message says, you may certainly share it with everybody else. Also, you might want to tell everybody else just so they know. <laughs> Maybe they can figure it out. So uh, this um, this is a nihilist cipher. Um, I'm I just discovered it based on some booleans, and I'm trying to decrypt it, but I, I don't think there's enough time for me to do this in a way that is um, without many many ghosts of silence. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, basically, it's a five by five grid with some addition to um, make it fun. Um, yeah, that that's all I understand right now. Fair enough. Mm. Mm. But yeah, while that's all happening, uh, what actually happens is the moment you actually hit the atmosphere uh, of the ring itself, the Class M atmosphere, the tractor beam disengages and uh, your helm officer, uh, Ensign Ruhr, or Rowan, sorry. Uh, Rowan reports, uh, sir, we have full helm control again. Um, I guess welcome to the ring world? Disc world? I, I don't know what to call it, sir. Jurassic Park. Oh I my god. Park. And Rowan actually turns <laughs> in her seat and looks at Alal. Do you think this is like Jurassic Park? I really hope it's not. Uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Ensign, would you care to elaborate on this metaphor that you're using? Uh, why don't you take it, Doctor? Oh, no. Honestly, my it's just an old movie from Earth. Like, I've seen it one time. It was back at the Academy. It was like, it's just about, it's just, it's just about a group of people who get stuck inside of a, like, ancient Earth amusement park filled with dangerous uh, filled with dinosaurs filled dinosaurs, with dinosaurs filled with dinosaurs <clears throat> um, and did Zeke I, make you watch that movie? I don't know you said it was at the academy but was it really Zeke? I would have watched it again with Zeke if he'd asked me but hmm. he never did nonetheless doctor I think you're metaphor or your comparison is potentially apt 
Well, the thing about Jurassic Park is that somebody created the park to put the animals in for amusement. And then things went horribly wrong. I can only assume that that is relatively tangentially related to the situation as well. Hmm. Thank you for the um, enlightening cultural comparison to ancient Earth films. Dr. Um, Ensign Rowan, I'd like you to begin to establish a search pattern. I'd like to better understand potentially the mechanisms behind these tractor emitters. Begin to explore the surface of the habitable zone. And I'll, uh, I'll pipe down what I find out to uh, Mr. Jaro. I figure he probably has a greater insight than I do in this matter. Very good. And Lee would just sort of sit back, unless anyone else had suggestions or concerns, uh, and allow them to begin surveying the surface of the planet and cataloging the various different uh, life forms thereon. Mm-hmm. Well, staying right. well, well away from them. Right, and it's one of those things where you guys are high enough up uh, in the sky that the creatures like, like aren't able to come up and like swipe at you or otherwise mess with you. So, almost like a uh, a safari, I think, is a good descriptor, where the Congo is literally just flying overhead, observing the landscape, observing the creatures, observing the tooth structures, and you're all collecting data. You're all trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. Uh, when fives, your console, the tactical console, begins beeping an alarm. Uh, you are detecting something approaching the Congo at Mach 9. Uh, sir, we've got a bogey coming in at Mach 9, and uh, I'll put the uh, coordinates on the screen. Can you determine what it is? GM. Well, if you want to put it on the view screen, I can certainly tell you that. Yeah, throwing it up on the view screen. All right, so you all see this. So uh, this creature is a little bit different. Uh, it is still a bipedal creature, uh, but difference is, is that it has two hooved legs and retractable sword-like arms. Uh, its head resembles that of a pointed seashell. Its back is a mass of saw-edged plates, and from its sides uh, are four tentacles hundreds of meters long, and each of these tentacles is tipped with a bony spearhead. Uh, The other things you notice is that its chest region is covered in glossy bioluminescent pastures. And uh, if you want a basic sort of uh, size differential, uh, this one is 900 meters tall, 200 meters across, and the tentacles are near two kilometers in length. And it's actually extremely light. It's only about 190 ton- 199 tons. And uh, it's approaching you at Mach 9. So, so Alel is going to turn to fives and like get his attention and be like, that is the Velociraptor. Um, that, that, that's, that's, a, a, that's a Velociraptor, like one and a half times the size of a Sovereign class starship. Yeah. By the way, Bogey, have you seen Top Gun? Yeah, it's one of my... We we don't have time for this, Doctor. (laughs) How long until it intercepts us, Lieutenant? Minutes. Hmm. 
based on the observations we've made, Doctor, can we extrapolate anything about that bioluminescence? Is there some way that we could, could potentially warn it off using an alternate frequency? When you say Doctor, do you mean me or that? Or Dante? That would be directed at the Doctor because you're more familiar with... I mean, nobody's familiar with whatever these things are, but the, <laughs> this is a, a question of biology. <laughs> Um, I must have missed bioluminescence. What's yeah, the bioluminescence? Yeah, so you see those, uh, you see those sort of like chest pieces that it has? Yeah. Uh, those are glow glowing like greens and blues and purples. Mm-hmm. To put it another way, it's an RGB creature. Corsair has found their way onto this disc world, apparently. Okay, um... <laughs> How do you disrupt bioluminescence? Um radiation uh, the the question really was is there some way that its bioluminescence might be communicating with us is it saying something through the changes in color patterns that we could then emulate or respond to in some way to communicate with it or to drive it off well or why don't we sequence the patterns it's showing us and run it through the same cryptological whatever that fives was working on <laughs> Very good, right. Doctor. <laughs> if that's what you believe might allow enable us to interpret this uh, creature's potential yep. attempts at communication, please do so. All right. So this is going to be a very important <laughs> role. Uh, at this point, it is going to be, and since it's Alel doing it, it's going to be a control and science. The ship will assist you with a computers and science. The difficulty on this is going to be a five. Oh no. Okay, what's the attribute roll again? Uh, it is control and science for you. Okay. And xenobiology does apply as a focus. Okay. How much momentum do we have? You have two. I would, can I spend both? Well, if, if you spend your determination, then you could spend the two for an additional die. But it's three momentum if you want just two two additional dice. Or and two momentum and one threat. Or momentum since and I, a threat. Since I ordered that, could that be a direct task or uh not quite. We're not quite in combat yet, so Um, okay. since Fives was working on the matrice for the code, mm -hmm. is there could he help me? Well, it depends on how far Dag in real life is coming along with the cipher. Auto decoder is saying it's not a cipher. <laughs> it is. Oh, great. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, if it's a difficulty of five, then... Um, you would probably want to spend determination. Okay. Yeah, you'd probably want to give him even three threat and the two momentum to roll two extra dice and then spend your determination as well. Okay, I'll do that. Do I have to tap a value? Uh, yeah, you have to tell me what value applies to use your determination. Um, rough and tumble doctor. Mm, sure, why not? Because she's doing math. Ah, yes, math. That's wild, not, wild west. Not, <laughs> not, uh, you know, she's a doctor. 
not a mathematician. It's it's kinetic so. math. <laughs> kinetic math. There you go. It's it's physics is what's happening. So, okay. Sure. So can I roll? I'm rolling four then. Uh, no, you're rolling. If you spend the two momentum, you're rolling three. Okay. If you don't spend any momentum, you're just rolling two. But you could spend two momentum and three threat to roll four, right? Correct. Yeah. Captain, are you giving me permission to do this? Yes. I'll just roll three because because <clears throat> the ship's going to help. Mm -hmm. And you do have cautious science, right? <coughs> yeah, I forgot what that was. You basically you roll, roll a die. die. Yeah. Okay. We're rolling three with a focus. All right, survey set. Oh my lord! So that's um, that's two complications. Uh, you can reroll one of those complications, but uh, you got to keep the other one. And the okay. ship was assisting with what? Computers and science. How do I reroll? You basically go through the full process again. Just do one d twenty. Okay. Control medicine. It's science, yeah. Science, yeah, whatever. This is why she should stay in sick bay. Alright, well that is uh three, I think it's five. No, that's four. No, that's four. So May I yeah, go just, for it. Uh, I'd like to give her my determination and allow her to re roll one of those dice. Yeah, go for it. So well if you want to roll another uh Control science, just the one d twenty. You need one success here, which you get. Very nice. So you are able Captain. to decode the message. In fact, the same time you decode your message, Alel, is the same time that Fives decodes his message. And Alel, what the creature is saying is, "Danger! Vacate the area." And. Uh, Fives, I'm going to message you on Discord because I want this to be the last thing we say on stream. That's what the message says, Fives. Alright, Captain. Sorry it took a second, but it, I believe the translation is danger, vacate the area. It's a messenger of some kind. Can uh, you... I just got a decoding over here as well, sir. It, it says welcome to the best zoo in the galaxy. And that's where we're going to end today's session. <laughs> it is Jurassic Park. It really Told is. you it was a nature preserve. Yeah, you did. Don't DMCA us, man. Don't DMCA us. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. No, no, we're doing it ourselves. It's transformative. Uh, <laughs> it's a performance no. piece. It's, it's, uh... wow, okay. But yeah, that was uh, that was our series premiere. Of course, it's going to be a two-parter. But what'd you guys think? I'm excited to be a part of this. <laughs> Never what had a to pilot. fight a kaiju on a shutdown ship before. Weird, man. Locked. <laughs> Sheesh. Yeah, it's really booking. Although, I mean, you know, we can do warp nine point nine. So. Mm -hmm. Um. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I was. I was. Uh, I was, I don't know why, I was just wasn't thinking about uh, what you would have made the key there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I try to make it really obvious and guessable, but uh, you want to share what the key was for the rest of the class? 
Yeah, what uh, what was it? I was trying to run it through and I just couldn't. couldn't yeah, get the, it. the key was Congo. So you take, yeah, without uh, without a key, it's impossible to solve. Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, oh. no, I was I was running through what the standard keys were because I was just looking at like popular keys. It didn't occur to me to go as uh, advanced as something that relates to the show. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, the way that these things are solved is you take the string of digits um, and then whatever the key is, i.e., Congo, that gets uh, uh, so Polybius squared. Yeah, it does get translated into numerical values based on a grid. And then uh, repeating, you line up all the digits in the code and subtract the values from Congo in order. So you subtract K from the first one, O from the second one. And then when you get to the sixth digit, you start over with K, O, N, G, O. That just repeats. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, the solution to that subtraction, then you have to run back to the grid and see what it translates to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I've i tried to make it so that any puzzles like this will be related to Congo in some way, but the next password isn't just going to be Congo. It'll be something similar, but not the same. Congo too. Puzzles, puzzles are always easier from the GM's viewpoint. Oh, yeah. Because technically that was impossible to do. I, yeah, I was I was surprised I even stumbled on the kind of encryption it was based mm -hmm. on like decode pairs of numbers as a search term. Yeah, it's that one was, of those uh, things where cool. it's 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 especially tricky for Star Trek because you want to give something that the players are going to have difficulty with, but you also want to sort of permit them to um, use the advantages of the computer because. Uh, a standard Star Trek computer, at least TNG Plus era, like it could have solved this thing in less than a microsecond. Yeah. But yeah, so that's where we're going to end the YouTube recording. So YouTube, we'll see you next week. Remember to check out the uh, Discord if you're interested in the Star Trek roleplay, the text-based one. But uh, this is where we say goodbye to YouTube. So later, bye-bye.